0: The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. All right, good morning everyone. Uh, Happy Epiphany Sunday. Uh, If you don't know that, today is Epiphany Sunday. And um, I'm going to leave it to Nathan to explain more about that later that's so on him. Uh, today we're going to be looking at Mark chapter one uh, again, continuing on as uh, we begin our journey through Mark. Uh, Nathan told me the one thing I do know about Epiphany is he said one of the sermons or one of the passages for Epiphany Sunday is actually the baptism of Jesus. I didn't know that. Actually, I knew that. I planned this all along, right? No, um, but we're going to look at the baptism of Jesus. The, the title this morning is now showing, and that'll make more sense later in the sermon. We'll get to that. Um, what is now showing. But let's begin by, by reading Mark chapter 1, uh, starting in verse uh, 9, 9 through 15. Mark 1, 9 through 15. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven... And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Um, So in in the account of Mark, uh, Jesus appears on the scene. And it's not a particularly grand entrance. Uh, There's no birth with angels or with magi. Um, Jesus just appears at the Jordan River um, as one of the crowd, right? Uh, there's no trumpet blast, there's no announcement. In fact, in, in Mark's account, even uh, Jesus' baptism and coming up out of the water and the, the heavens being torn open, the Holy Spirit coming down, the voice from heaven. In Mark's account, it's just Jesus that hears this. Right? So, so we don't even get the indication that John even knew what was going on. It's just Jesus. And so, uh, there's nothing really outstanding uh, that that sets Jesus apart uh, at first glance in in, in Mark's account, um, and and when, when when you compare Mark's account with Matthew and Luke, it's extremely brief, uh, and of course that's one of the reasons Mark is only sixteen chapters long, verses twenty eight. Um, uh, Mark has a, an exceptional gift for brevity. A lot of people pray that I would pattern myself after Mark. Right? I don't seem to have that same gift uh brevity. Uh, he accounts Jesus' baptism and temptation in a total of five verses uh, compared with Matthew 16. Right, So he's very very to the point. And um, without going into a lot of details, I think the, the point for Mark is he, he wants to give this laser focus on Jesus. And he doesn't get distracted with some of the other things that Mark, Matthew and Mark deal with, with the context and hearts of people coming. He just focuses on Jesus. And, and really, uh, his introduction, his, the way he brings Jesus on the scene, uh, is really unique, as I shared last week, really unique and distinct from the rest of the book. And it's, uh, the only times we really see Mark quoting Old Testament scripture, it's the only time we get this clear indication of how Jesus is empowered by the Holy Spirit and some of this, uh, backdrop, this, the, the, this, the scene behind, um, it's just a glimpse, and, and uh, many scholars and commentators really uh, say that, that what Mark is doing here is he's giving us a, a key to read the rest of the book, to unlock and understand who Jesus is through the rest of the gospel. Or to use a different analogy, if you've seen the movie National Treasure, there's this scene where the, the hero of the story, uh, he gets these special glasses, Right? And he can't figure out the clue, he can't solve the puzzle, but then when he puts these special glasses on, he can see the code. He can read this special code, and it all makes sense to him then, because he's got these special glasses. Well, these verses kind of serve as that. It's our special glasses that Mark wants us to put on to read the rest of the book, right? Uh, to understand who Jesus is, because he's not going to explain it otherwise, right? He's not going to go to a lot of effort to explain how Jesus is the Son of God and how he's doing all these miracles. He expects us to see that through this lens of, of these short verses. So he focuses just on on Jesus and uh, the crowd, the background, uh, even Satan and the temptations kind of fade into the background, and we just see Jesus and, and who he is and what he's about. So, uh, what we want to do this morning is look at these verses and, and really, uh, understand what this key is, these glasses. How, how does John, uh, I'm sorry, how does Mark, uh, want us to see Jesus as we read through and look through the rest of the gospel? Right. So he starts off, uh, with, with the baptism. Right. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And this verse very closely parallels uh, verse 5, right? In verse 5 it says, uh, and, and all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to John and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins, right? So uh, there's some very close similarities, parallels uh, that are the same. And then there's some very important differences, right? So the, the way it's the same is that both Jesus and the people of Jerusalem came out to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. And that's what Jesus did. He went out just like everybody else. And, and, and as I said, there's nothing unique about this. Jesus really just blends into the crowd. And if you were there on that day when Jesus was baptized, you would have missed it, most likely, because uh, it was he was just another guy in the crowd. Um, but uh, where all Jerusalem and Judea were coming out, um, and Jesus came out to be baptized that's uh certainly the s- similarity but the similarities in there right uh G- Jesus is not coming out from Jerusalem and that's important right Jerusalem was the uh the religious center of Israel it was the geopolitical center of Israel it was the uh social center right if you wanted to be anybody who was anybody you would be from Jerusalem you would live in Jerusalem Uh, By contrast, it says Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. If you know much about Nazareth, Nazareth is nowhere. It is nothing, right? In fact, Galilee is a region that at this period in history was so much on the fringe of of Israel that a lot of people didn't even really describe it as real Israel, right? It was mostly, it was largely pagan. Uh, A lot of the people who lived there weren't even Jewish. And so, uh, like if you want to be somebody, you don't come from Nazareth of Galilee, right? This is this is like just you know advertising yourself with a big L loser on your forehead. I'm I'm just from Nazareth, but that's that's Jesus, right? So he is not representing the religious elite. He's not representing um, traditional uh, Judaism, right? He's coming from this way out of the way place. So that's not what you would expect. Um, but secondly. Uh, it says that the people come out and they are baptized confessing their sins. That is, is uh, distinctly dropped off. Jesus does not come out confessing his sins. Uh, instead, he is announced as as the son who delights his father. Now, of course, God is a, is a father uh, with perfect, unconditional love, and God loves us as his children unconditionally, even when we sin. But that's not how the word, uh, you know, the beloved son is used here. He's not saying, God loves Jesus even though he's kind of a mess up and, you know, failed a lot. But he had unconditional love for his son anyway. No, that's not the picture. He is a, he is a beloved son in whom his father delights, right? He takes, he is excited, he is uh, approving fully in Jesus and his life, right, up to this point. Why? Well, because Jesus did not sin, right? He was perfect. He obeyed and followed his father perfectly. And so Jesus came to be baptized, uh, and even though it was a baptism of repentance, uh, he did not repent of his own sin. He did not confess his own evils and wrongs, because Jesus hadn't sinned, right? He was, he was without sin. He was completely obedient. But the focus of this, these verses really isn't Jesus' baptisms per se. And there's a lot, some other things we could say about his baptism, but like, like Mark, who, who kind of Just briefly mentions that to really get to the next verse. I'm going to do the same thing. The real focus here is, um, is what happens after his baptism. Uh, when, uh, when it says, verse 10, he came up out of the water and immediately, that very instant as he comes up out of the water, he saw, that is Jesus, saw the heavens opening or being torn apart and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Right? And a voice from heaven, uh, saying, "You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. I'm delighted." All right, um, this is this is really what Mark wants to highlight. Uh, not so much Jesus baptism by John, but really what is essentially Jesus baptism by the Holy Spirit, right? Um, and and this uh, begins with this picture of the heavens being. Uh, it says in ESV, the heavens opening. That's a woefully pathetic translation. I kind of like the ESV kind of mostly, but this is terrible because it's not just they were opening. It sounds like, yeah, they opened the door, open the curtain. No, this is tearing open, like ripping open an envelope, like the little kid at Christmas who's super excited and he's not the polite, you know, gently opening the said No, this is the kid who's tearing open the paper. That's the picture here, ripping open the heavens, right? Um, and it should remind us, it should, uh, if, if we know our Old Testament, it should bring to our mind the language of Isaiah 64, one, which says, uh, where Isaiah prays to God, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. Okay, This is not just a gentle opening. This is a ripping open. right? And kind of the picture is that there's this veil, there's this curtain or this barrier that separates heaven from earth. And uh, even though certainly God is, is on the earth, there's a this, there's this separation. And, and Isaiah prays that God would would not be distant. That he would rip apart that barrier and break into the earth in a way that would bring his saving power. And I didn't read the whole prayer, but he goes on through these verses to pray for God's salvation. For God forgot to enter in, break into earth, and bring his salvation. And, and that's really what we're to picture here uh, by, by this phrase. Jesus saw the heavens being ripped open, torn open, uh, so that God is breaking in uh, to earth with saving power, right? and of course we know that that saving power is, is Jesus Himself. Uh, and, and God doesn't do it gently; He does it with this violent initiative, this violent action of breaking in and coming. Uh, and then He sees He says He sees the um, uh, the Holy Spirit coming down, descending like a dove. Right, upon him. So again, it's likely that Jesus, uh, at least in Mark, Jesus is the only one who's aware of this. Uh, but but we get a picture again, we, we get this key, uh, we get this peek into what's really behind Jesus' power. And what's uh, behind Jesus and how we're supposed to read the rest of the book of Mark is that Jesus does all this incredible ministry, all these miracles of healing, of casting out demons, of raising the dead. Of powerfully teaching uh, God's Word, that He does this by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? The Holy Spirit comes on him, he's baptized with the Holy Spirit, he is filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, um, you know, if we if we've gone to Sunday school and we know our Trinity well, we know that there's like the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we know that Jesus came as God the Son. In fact, he's announced here, this is, my, this is my beloved Son, or even, it could be translated, my only Son. He's uniquely God's Son. So this is one of the persons of the Trinity. So uh, a natural question would be to ask, why does Jesus need the Holy Spirit to be effective in ministry? I mean, if, if we know... John, we look at John 1, we see that you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Everything was created by the Word, right? Here's, here's, the, here's Jesus the Son who created the universe, right? Why does he need the Holy Spirit, right? Why, why doesn't he just, as the, as the Son of God who created, why doesn't he just do ministry in that power? Well, it's important to understand, and Mark brings this out more than any other gospel writer, uh, that Jesus... Uh, came, uh, Son of God came to earth, took on human flesh, and became fully human. Right? Jesus was in every way a man, uh, a human being like us. And in so becoming a man, he did not, he did not stop being God, right? And so the, the doctrine of the incarnation is that Jesus is fully God, fully man. But the Bible also teaches that, uh, while he is fully God, fully man, Jesus laid aside, set aside temporarily, uh, some of his divine glory, right? Or in the, in the language of, of Philippians chapter 2, he emptied himself, right? He emptied himself. Well, what did he empty himself of? Well, he emptied himself of all, of all of his magic power, right? Uh, of all of, of all of his supernatural abilities, right? So Jesus, uh, not that he couldn't, he couldn't he could have easily said uh, out in the wilderness as satan did, as we know satan did tempt him turn the turn the rocks into bread and jesus as the one who created the universe could have said i don't need rocks <laughs> i can just say let there be bread and there would be bread right he could have done that but uh, he laid all that power aside right so that he would live a life fully human right just like us right so that uh, when Jesus went forward to do ministry, he didn't do ministry in, in the power that was available to him as the Son, but instead he operated fully as a man like us, baptized and powered by the Holy Spirit. Right? And this is important for us because Jesus uh, comes to live our life. Right? He comes to be one of us, to live just like we live, right? to face the same struggles and temptations that we face fully human, right, fully human. And that means that he could take no shortcuts, or he chose not to take shortcuts, right? Uh, never once in school did he say, uh, okay, you know, I forgot to study for this quiz, but it doesn't matter because I know all things, right? I don't need to study for a quiz. No, right, he set that aside. And he lived a life fully human. And, and I think it's easy for us to sometimes lose sight of the full humanness of Jesus, He was fully human, limited and weak, just like us, right? Uh, But he's going to do incredible ministry. And so to do this incredible, miraculous, supernatural ministry, he needs power from above. And and so the Holy Spirit comes on him, and we see that Jesus is is baptized by the Holy Spirit. And that becomes the power by which he accomplishes all of his ministry, right? Um, and, And John had declared just in the verses before this that, One coming after him would be greater, the the one coming after him would be greater than John, because John baptized with water, but he would baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so we see now that Jesus is the one who's able to baptize with the Holy Spirit because he himself is filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? And so uh, that would become part of his ministry is to extend to us the same Spirit and the same power. Uh, And this is good news for us. Right? Uh, because this relates not only to Jesus, but to our own life, right? If we've been saved, and we are in Christ, Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. And we have the same exact power to do ministry that Jesus did. Right Now, we're not necessarily called this the same ministry. So I'm not saying that we can raise the dead like Jesus did. Uh, unless that's what he calls you to, right? If he calls you to that, you can do that by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? We have that same, we have been baptized with the same spirit. We have that same power to successfully do all the ministry, whatever it is that God has called you to, right? That same spirit is on us. And Jesus models for us how to live and walk in the power of the spirit, uh, that that we should follow, right? As, as he baptizes us with the same spirit. Um, uh, so, uh, Thirdly, uh, we see that Jesus is affirmed as a son. Right? He's the only, one and only son who delights the father because of his obedience. Because he has been a perfect son who's lived his life to this point exactly as it should be. And, and he will continue that, of course, through uh, to the cross. Um, so, uh, so, so that's Jesus' baptism. And I think what Mark wants us to take away is this picture of Jesus, um, son of God, Fully human, but fully empowered by the Holy Spirit, and that will be how he goes out and does his ministry. Uh, but it says then immediately, verse 12, immediately, the Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. Now that doesn't mean he called the grab, that he pulled up with a you know his Honda, so I'm gonna drive you to the wilderness. No, the idea is being like thrown out, cast out into the wilderness, like driven, chased out into the wilderness. That's the sense of using the word drive, um, not in a chariot, right? The um, Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. So you get this picture that Jesus comes up out of the water. He steps up out of the Jordan River, and the Spirit compels him, drives him, and Jesus begins walking in, in, into the wilderness. Now, uh, it says that John was baptizing in the wilderness, so he's already in a fairly remote spot. But now he goes even deeper into the wilderness, even more remotely into an uninhabited, uh, lonely wilderness area. Uh, And and, uh, it says he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Um, uh, What's first important about this to understand is that um, Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit, right? He's baptized, the Holy Spirit comes upon him in power, But it's important to note that the filling of the Holy Spirit means nothing unless you are fully surrendered and submitted to the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, In order for the Holy Spirit's power to be effective in our life, we have to surrender to him and follow him. And that's the picture here, right? Jesus uh, is filled with the Holy Spirit and immediately the Spirit directs him and Jesus uh, follows the leading and directing of the Holy Spirit. Uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit requires being controlled by the Spirit, being led by him, being directed by him, and Jesus uh, is effective in the ministry of the Spirit, not only because that power is in him but because he 's obedient right? He follows he is controlled by the Spirit right? and and here the leading of the Spirit again is almost violent, right This is not a gentle gentle nudge but an all out shove. <laughs> Right, Holy Spirit kicks him and shoves him out into the wilderness. Now, uh, Jesus. This doesn't mean that somehow the Holy Spirit overpowered Jesus' will and he forced Jesus to do something that was against his will. No, uh, uh, but it is a picture of of God's actions in bringing salvation that are not chill, they're not calm. They're they're like these these descriptions are radical, right? Rending the heavens. Uh, driving Jesus into the wilderness, right? Jesus is, I mean, God is taking bold, radical action to bring his saving uh, plan and to confront evil and deal with Satan, right? And and Jesus uh, submits, right? He, he follows the leading of the Spirit perfectly and completely. Um, um, he allows the Holy Spirit to take control of his life. Now, let me ask you a question. How do you feel about losing control? Or even more importantly, how do you feel about giving control of your life over to someone else? Right? Are we okay with that? Is that something we easily and naturally do? Uh, I don't think so, right? When was the last time you said to your spouse, Honey, I want you just to control my life. You know? Would you just like tell me what to do? Anybody done that recently? Anybody? No, no, nobody. Okay, how about those of you who are are kids? uh, How many of you have said to your parents, Mom, Dad, would you just tell me what to do? Like, would you just really control my life? Anybody? Any? any? No, 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 of course not. Like, that's the last thing we want, right? Uh, We are not wired that way. We want control. We want to stay in control. We want to be in control. Um, And and we, we don't want to give that control over to others, especially people who actually could control us, like our parents or those in authority. And we ultimately do not want to give that control to God. right? We don't want to give that control to God. This is hard, right? And this is really the test. And this is what I would call the test of the wilderness, being tested in the wild. right? Why is it that, that the Spirit drives Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan? Does, does this mean that, like, Satan couldn't tempt Jesus in Nazareth, right? I don't know about you, but I find, say, I find temptations everywhere, right? Uh, at home, like, I find temptations. In the world, I find temptations. In fact, I find that being around people is extremely tempting. Like, I do much better when I'm not around people. I'm not tempted to mouth off and say mean things or say sarcastic things or belittling things, Right? When I'm by myself, I just keep quiet. It goes better, right? I should learn. I should learn from that, right? So, so why is the wilderness? Why the wilderness, right? Well, three things happen in the wilderness. Jesus is tempted by Satan. He is with the wild animals, and he is ministered to by angels. So, so why, uh, why does why does it necessary that he goes off into the wilderness for, for Satan to tempt him? Right. Well. I think part of the, part of our misunderstanding here is that we really have the wrong idea about wilderness. Like when I say the word wilderness, what do you think of? Right? Think of nice waterfalls, hiking through the woods, the forest, birds chirping. Right? Um, I I I I love the wilderness. Right? I love hiking in the woods. I love camping. I, I like hunting. Uh, and, and you know, there's 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 a lot of great books about. Uh, that, that really romanticize life in the wild. And, and now there's YouTube channels and videos and things and stories about people who have sailed off in the ocean. They've gone on these amazing voyages or they have gone off into the wilderness. And, and, and I remember uh, watching when, back in the States with my uh, daughter, this, this whole TV series, I think it's called, this is kind of a survival show, where they drop these people off in the middle of nowhere and they, these people are, have like these skills to survive, and it all looks so cool, right? And I enjoy that. And so when I think about uh, about the wild, I think of great adventures and the beauty and the peace and the solitude, right? Um, but But our experience of the wild is nothing like what Jesus experienced here, right? When I go off into the wild, I go with all my gear. I take my food and my sleeping bag and my tent, and if I'm going hunting, I take my bow if I'm going to a place where I know there's bears and lions, I take my gun, right? And um, it's different, right? It's different than what Jesus experienced. And no matter how far I go into the wilderness, I'm usually never more than maybe a day or two's walk from a road, maybe never farther than a few hours hike to a road where I can get help. And, and the good news is that, uh, at least in many places, um, if a hiker gets lost, there are search and rescue teams with helicopters and all kinds of gear and uh, who can come rescue you if you don't show up, right? If you get lost. Um, there's people who come and find you, right? Jesus had none of that. He did not take a backpack. He didn't take freeze dried food. He didn't take some dried raisins. He, he, I, I really did this picture that he got up out of the Jordan River and the spirits that go into the wilderness and he walked with nothing, except for his clothes, deep into the wilderness, days into the wilderness. And he's there for 40 days. Who knows how far, how deep he went in. Right? And nobody knows he's there. Nobody's calling saying, hey, Jesus, you haven't come home. Like, where are you? Right? He's uh, Nobody's tracking him on, you know, find my friends. He's he's out there. Right? Nobody knows where he is. And, And see, the wilderness is a special place for testing because... In the wild, the wild that Jesus was in, he loses all control over his life. Right? It says he's out there with the wild animals. Right? Well, so there's a couple of things about that. First of all, what is it that makes wild animals wild? Well, by definition, they're wild because they are untamed and beyond human control. Okay? And what's also important to understand here is these wild animals are not the squirrels and chipmunks and birds. Right? What he's talking about here are Lions and bears, and if you know much about the Old Testament, you know that uh, even in in civilized uh, Israel, uh, there were there were people who were killed and attacked by lions and bears. They roamed around in the wilderness. Uh, you were you were fair game, right? David talks about being a shepherd boy, and he said when when the bears and the lions would come and attack the sheep, I would have to wrestle them off, right? So here's Jesus out in the wilderness with animals he cannot control, who have really sharp teeth, who, who basically want to eat him for breakfast, right? He is their lunch, right? And that's where he is. And, and so he's in a place where uh, everything around him is threatening and dangerous, and he has given up all control over his life, right? And, and so the temptation is to flee back to civilization, right? The civilization world is a place where we are bringing the wild under our control, right we have tamed those animals or we have found ways to keep them at a safe distance right we we've we've built houses and homes and things to control our environment we have dealt with all the potential threats and we in our civilized world we we've taken control right and i really believe that what this is about is jesus going into a place where he has absolutely no control over anything in his life right um And and this is where the Holy Spirit has led him, right? He has given control of his life to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has taken him into a place where there's even less control, where he cannot just go to seven and buy a snack, right? Where he may not even know where he can find water, right? Where there is no food, uh, where he is alone. There's no companionship. There's nobody to talk to. Uh, There's, uh, I mean, imagine this, going to sleep at night, no sleeping bag, no tent, no pillow, laying on the bare ground, and hearing all too close the sound of wolves howling, <laughs> like peace dreams, peaceful dreams, right, like you go to sleep wondering at what point at two in the morning they attack you right that that 's where Jesus was, right, and so the temptation uh, for Jesus is that, uh, that that Satan was saying. Get out of here! Flee back to civilization. Go back to where you can have some control, where you can be safe, right? And and why do we want control? Well, ultimately, we want control because we believe we will be safe, right? Right. I want to be in control because if I'm in control, I'm safe. Is that true? By the way, well, I'll let you wrestle with that one. It um, may not be as true as you think, but that's what we that's what we tell ourselves, right? Uh, so Satan's temptation is to go back, get control. Like everything is out of control. This is not safe. right? Um, So will Jesus flee back to civilization where it's safe, where he can get food and water and have a protected place to sleep with a comfortable bed and he can kind of take charge of his life? Or will he stay in a place where there are dangerous and wild animals that want to eat him for breakfast uh, and where he has no option but to do one thing and that is to trust in God to take care of him. Right? And this is this is the fundamental temptation, I think, of life. Right? It's, it's interesting. When we go back all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden, right, to their temptation. Let's compare these temptations. Okay, Jesus is in a wilderness, he has nothing, nothing. He's in control of nothing. His whole life is at the mercy of the environment and the wild animals and 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 he's completely in the hands of God alone for safety and for protection, right? Uh, Compare that with Adam and Eve; they were tempted in a place of incredible, overwhelming abundance, right? A place where everything was bearing fruit, and everything was fair game for them to eat, right? There there was there was no limits, right? There was just abundance everywhere. And God had created this place especially for them where joy and happiness and companionship and every need would be met, right? And and there, there was only, in their whole entire world, there was only one thing that was off-limit, right? But what got to them? That one thing that they couldn't control, right? That one tree that was off-limits to them, right? And Satan came along with the lie saying, Look, uh, you're not in control of your life. Look, you can't have that, that tree of the knowledge, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? You're really not in control. Right? God is, God is controlling you. You need to throw off the yoke of God's rule over your life. Right? If you eat of that fruit, it says they, they, were, they saw that it, it was good to the eye, it was good to the taste, and, right? it would make them like God. Right? No longer do we have to be under God's control. We can do whatever we want. We can be in control of our life. That's what we want. But of course, it was a lie of Satan. And, and actually, in taking that step of seeking to be in control of their whole life and out from underneath God's rule... Adam and Eve put themselves under the rule of Satan, and under the dominion of sin and their own flesh. And so, Adam and Eve, and every one of us, uh, their children since then, up to us now, right, have a nature that and a life that is uh, no longer free. Right, we are under the control and dominion of Satan and the world and our own flesh. But. Satan is smart, and he gives us this, this illusion of control, right? And that's why we're so desperate to not lose it. Because really, we have no control over our own life. We are slaves of sin and slaves of Satan. But we want to live with this illusion that I'm in control, that I get to make my own choices, that I get to do whatever I want, that I'm in control, right? Right? Um, and, and we're not going to let anybody take control of us. We're not going to let anybody tell us what to do, including God, or maybe especially God. Right? And that's where we are. But that's And that was the test for Jesus. So 40 days, Jesus is out there with that temptation. Uh, and the temptation is to wait on God and trust in him, or to flee back to civilization and take control back of his life. And of course we know that Jesus uh, was there for 40 days, super long time. Uh, If you've ever, if if you've ever done a spiritual retreat where you've gone off and just been all by yourself, anybody ever done that? Just being alone? Like I've tried to do that a couple times. And like, one day is hard. One day is hard. Like, the morning's good, you know, but then you start realizing, this is kind of lonely. I wish I had somebody to talk to. And I'm an introvert. I'm not usually looking for somebody to talk to, but after a while, even introverts are thinking, hmm, it'd be nice to talk to somebody, right? A couple days go by, it gets harder. Three days, you feel like you spent all of eternity, right, alone. And, and, and what comes up? I'll tell you what comes up, those temptations of control. Like, let me get back to where I can be in control. I don't like this. I don't like this. Jesus was out there 40 days. Incredibly long time. And What's interesting in Mark is there's no sense that it ends. Right? Jesus, the next verse comes back to uh, Galilee and he, he starts this ministry, but, but there's no picture like there's in Luke of, or, or Mark of Jesus kind of defeating Satan, him retreating away, it ending. And really the picture in Mark is that this continues on all the way to, to the cross. Right? Jesus is living this life of, of full submission and dependence on God all the way to the cross. Where, where he's being tested, where he's being challenged. Who's going to be in control of his life? And, and Jesus remains faithful. God is going to be in control of his life. The Spirit is going to be in control of his life. And he is going to be obedient to, to death, to the point of death, even death on the cross. Alright, right, so that's the picture here. I think that's the picture that the Mark wants us to take away from this testing. Not so much how he engaged Satan, not so much the details of what he was tempted in, but that Jesus, uh, the, the great test was who would be in control of his life. And Jesus surrenders fully to, to God so that um, he can say in John six thirty eight, Jesus says, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And repeatedly in the Gospel of John, he's talking about doing his father's will. I can't do anything else, chapter 5. I can't do anything else but what the Father is doing, right? Uh, all the way up to his final breath, when before the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays, not my will, but yours be done, right? So Jesus is effective first because he's empowered by the Holy Spirit, but secondly, because he lives his life fully surrendered to God who controls his whole life, right? Um, and, and then it says... Uh, uh, Verse, verse fourteen now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the Gospel of God and saying, "The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. repent and believe in the gospel uh, now there 's a definite break between verses thirteen and fourteen and it would be easy to just stop at verse thirteen but i want to I want to see look at these two verses because it in light of how Je- who Jesus is there 's incredible implications for us. Right. So hang with me these last couple minutes as as we unpack uh, what what Jesus meant when he's when he's proclaiming the gospel of God. Gospel means good news. What is the good news of God? Right? Uh, Jesus is announcing this good news and 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 it's the it's the good news of God. And the good news is ultimately that the time is fulfilled. In other words, the, the time prophesied in the Old Testament, we've talked about a lot the great day of the Lord, the, the time of the end, it is fulfilled, right? The time's up, the bell's rung, and now is the end. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the great day of the Lord, right? And that is good news. Well, it is good news if you repent and believe, okay? It's not good news if you don't, by the way, but that's a different sermon, right? And and he says, he explains this good news of God, the gospel of God, is as the kingdom fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Okay, so it's the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Um, so uh, that's great news, right? The kingdom is at hand. But what exactly does that mean, right? The kingdom of God is at hand or the kingdom of God is near. The question and the big debate is how near? How near is it? How close is it? Okay, this is a... a Question that if you know much about this passage, you know uh, there's a lot of debate, and basically it comes down to this: is it near, meaning it's arrived, or is it just close and coming soon? Or to put it in movie movie theater language, anybody like going to movie theaters, watching a movie on the big screen? I like that, right? And they always advertise movies in one of two ways: like you go online and you want to watch a movie, and you say you see the movie you want. And, and it's going to be listed in one of two ways. It's either going to be listed as coming soon. And coming soon means what? Well, it's not here yet, right? You can't go watch it today. But maybe on Thursday you can go watch it. It's coming soon. It's going to arrive soon, right? Or there's another category of movies called what? Now Showing. See, that's my title. I got to it finally. Now Showing. When that was, what does that mean? That means it's here. And you can go watch it right now. Go buy the ticket and you can watch it right now. So the question is, is Jesus saying that the kingdom is coming soon or is now showing? That's the big question. Well, I don't have time to explain all the reasons why, but I really believe it's best to understand Jesus saying here that the kingdom is now showing. It's here. It has arrived. It's not almost here, uh, coming soon. No, it has arrived. Right? And if you want to know all the reasons why, I can explain those later. I don't have time to go into it now. But really, it just fits best with all the evidence, right? Now, not all commentators will agree with that, and, and, and you may have a different opinion that Jesus is saying it's almost here. But I really believe the, uh, it's pretty convincing that what he's saying here is it has arrived. But what is exactly does that mean, right? What does it mean that the quest, that, that the kingdom is now showing that it's arrived? Well, to understand that, we need to answer one other question. And that is, what is the kingdom of God? What did Jesus mean by the kingdom of God? Well, the short answer is that, in its most basic sense, the kingdom of God is the rule of God over people's hearts. Okay, The kingdom of God, in its most basic sense, is the rule of God. Okay, In other words, God being in control of people's hearts and lives. Uh, now, we tend to think of kingdom in terms of a place or a nation or a political realm, right? But in ancient times, it referred primarily to the rule or authority of a king, right? Only secondly did it describe like the extent of that rule in terms of the specific people he ruled over or a certain territory or region that he ruled over. But what it mostly meant is his rule. Like the king is a king because he's in charge, he's in control. He's, he's the king, right? And that's what a kingdom is, it's the rule of the king. So, so that's the kingdom. The kingdom is God's rule over the hearts of people. Now, uh, you may say, well, that's all good, but isn't God sovereign over all things? Like, isn't God, wasn't God already sovereign? Wasn't he already king before this? Um, isn't God always in charge? Well, in one sense that's true. God is sovereign and is certainly in control over all creation. He is certainly sovereign over history and he is working out his plan. But, uh, God is not in control of the hearts and minds of people. Right? Going back to the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve gave into that temptation, they gave Satan control over their lives. And they no longer were under the rule of God. As I mean, God is not sovereign, that he can't do whatever he wants with our life. Well, he certainly can. But, but he's not ruling their hearts. right? People stopped following God willingly. They stopped obeying him. And that's true for the, old, the whole Old Testament. And you may say, well, what about Abraham? What about David and Moses and Elijah? They certainly followed God. Well, kind of. But every one of those guys failed, right? Every one of those has instances in their life where they did not follow God, right? God did not have complete and total rule over their life. It was limited at best. And in fact, the, the, the Old Testament, and especially the history of Israel, demonstrates repeatedly that people will not submit to God's rule. And things haven't changed in the modern world, right? We look around, um, do people want God to be in control of their life? No. And if we're honest, do we want God to be in control of our life? Well, there certainly was a time before we came to Christ when the answer would be no. No, we did not want God to be in control of our life. In fact, one of the greatest hurdles in coming to Christ is knowing that coming to Christ means God will take control. And we resist that. But that's what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God implies God's full and complete control over the lives of people. And Jesus is announcing here that the time is fulfilled when God's rule, and God will rule over the hearts of people because they will submit fully to his authority, willingly. Right? So the kingdom is here. It's arrived. Well, how has that happened? How has that become a reality? Well, when Jesus spoke this, it was first of all a reality because it was true in Jesus' life. Right. So here, here's the picture: since Adam and Eve fell, there had not been one single human being alive for all those thousands of years until Jesus came along, who could say they lived fully under the rule and reign of God? Jesus was the first since Adam and Eve, right? And so, for one, the kingdom had arrived in Christ because. Uh, God was ruling, as we just saw, in the baptism and in the wilderness testing, uh, God was fully in control of Jesus' life. So the kingdom arrived in Christ, um, uh, which is cool. Um, and, and, uh, and, 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 uh, and this is how Jesus is going to do his ministry, right? Um, And and why is this possible? Well, it's possible for two things. One, because Jesus had been baptized by the Holy Spirit. So he's got this spirit power working in him. But it's also true because Jesus has a different nature. Now, as I said, Jesus is fully God, fully man. He laid aside his power. But what Jesus did not lay aside was his nature. He did not have a human nature like us. Jesus did not have that same rebellious heart that Adam had and that we have, right? He had a nature that was fully surrendered and submitted to God. So the kingdom has arrived in Jesus um, and his reign and rule over Jesus is perfect and complete. But if it ends there, it's a very small kingdom of one, right? Like, okay, well, that's all great. So God's ruling over Jesus, his son, who's part of the Trinity, like, okay, well, that's a very small kingdom, well, thankfully, it doesn't stop there, right? And what Jesus is offering here is not just that, well, God's ruling over me. It must suck to be you, right? That, sorry for the language, but that's, that's not what Jesus is saying here, right? He's saying, no, the kingdom is now near, and it's, I'm inviting you to enter into it, right? Uh, how is that possible, right? How is it that? we can now experience the reign and rule of God over our own life. How is it we can come fully under the control of God the same way Jesus did? Well, the short answer is, it it is the work of the Holy Spirit. Right, The one who comes after me will do a greater work because he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. What Jesus does, he comes and, and because of the cross, because of his blood, because of his resurrection, he can now baptize us with the Holy Spirit. And that baptism doesn't just simply speak of the cleansing and washing of sin. It involves giving you a new heart and a new nature. Right, A heart and a nature that now desires and wants the rule of God over our life. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 puts it this way, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Specifically, the old that has passed away is our old heart. Our old rebellious, stubborn heart that refused to let God or anybody else control us. And what God now gives us is a new heart that seeks to submit and surrender to God's rule over our life. Right? So this fulfills the promise of Ezekiel 36:26, which says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. So that's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. Right? When we want to actually obey God. Right? And that's the amazing work of the gospel. So how do we get, how do we enter the kingdom? Well, he says, he says it's just a matter of repenting and believing, right? Uh, it's now showing, the movie. it's like a movie theater, it, the movie's showing, but we have to enter in to see it. So how do we enter in? Well, Jesus says uh, the gospel is, uh, God, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Two simple things. First, we have to repent. We have to acknowledge and admit our old life of rebellion. That. Uh, that our old person, our old heart did not want to follow God, did not want to, him to be in control, um, that we were in bondage to our flesh and sin and Satan, right? And and to turn from that old life to God, to allow him to reign and rule over us. Right? We repent. But secondly, we have to believe in the gospel, right? Um, the gospel is good news. Um, and, In order to receive this good, we need to believe that it actually is good news. Okay, Here's the good news. The good news is God wants to control your life. Do you believe that's good news? See, that's what believing is. It's believing that, yes, it is good news. Me being in control has been a disaster. I've been under the dominion and control of Satan. It wasn't what I thought. It has wrecked me. The only hope for my life is to come under the reign and rule of God. That is good news, right? It's believing that and submitting to him, inviting him to come in and take control of our life, right? That's entering into the kingdom, right? Uh, The kingdom of God is now showing for all who will enter in, right? Will you enter, right? Will you believe it's good news? Let's pray.